You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm always glad that you have joined us. Corktown is Detroit's oldest surviving neighborhood, and it's a place where change has been a constant. It was anchored for a long time by a transportation hub and a baseball stadium, but both went dormant. And it is now at the center of Detroit's recent growth. There are expensive homes being renovated or built and sold. There are trendy restaurants and bars opening up all along Michigan Avenue, which is the main drag through Corktown. And now Ford Motor Company says it's going to invest hundreds of millions of dollars to fix up Michigan Central Station and move thousands of new workers to the neighborhood. Free Press columnist John Carlisle recently wrote a series of profiles on Corktown residents talking about their changing neighborhood and their hopes and fears about the future. John Carlisle joins me now to talk more about Detroit's oldest neighborhood. John, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, old friend. How are you? It's always good to see you. Good Thanks to see you very too. much for coming in. Uh, I loved this series, by the way. Thank uh, you. And I, I loved the, the range of people you had in it, the range of sort of approaches that they had to, to, to their thinking about uh, that neighborhood and its history and its present and its future. Let's start with the history of the Corktown neighborhood. This is one of the most important places in the city of Detroit. Most people, I think, know it uh, because of Tiger Stadium. You know, you grew up here and that's where we went to see the Tigers for a really long time. But there's so much more about Corktown that matters. Yeah, you know, it's the city's oldest neighborhood, originally settled by the Irish, named for Cork County. And uh, over the years, it drew more people. It drew um, Maltese and uh, other immigrants from various areas. It's always been one of the most diverse areas of the city. Um, and But what really started its downward spiral was the freeway when I-75 came plowing through it. So it split it into, you had South Corktown, which is still somewhat intact with a lot of very nice Victorian homes and, and strong neighborhood groups and associations. And you have North Corktown, which was severed from the commercial artery of Michigan Avenue and which just completely withered away over time. It became like uh, some other parts of the city, very rangy, very desolate. The abandoned homes kind of crumbled and then went away. So you have these whole blocks full of empty fields. And then in the past, say, 10, 15, 20 years, you had this small number of so almost like pioneers who moved there specifically because of its wide open spaces. You had urban farmers and artists and people who wanted the you know proverbial $100 house and who moved there specifically because it was this very unique area where they could be left alone. And now, with Ford coming to buy the train station, both sides of Corktown stand to face very big changes. Now, South Corktown, maybe not so much because there's not so much you can do with it. It's very <laughs> dense. But North Corktown is wide open and it's primed for development and the people there know this. And so we thought, let's set out and talk to the people. A lot of people, when Ford announced, went and talked to the business owners on Michigan, who of course are thrilled because now there's thousands of new customers potentially coming in once Ford brings all these employees downtown. And, but the neighbors, it's a little different. You know, if you move there for peace and quiet and suddenly there's a whole bunch of lofts and condos there, what does that mean to you? Is that good? Is it bad? And so we set out on this multi-month project to check it out. Yeah. And and I guess I would describe the feelings that you reflect from people in this in this story as a range from, you know, uh, a tentative tentative excitement uh, to outright fear about what's what's happening. And and I think this is 
what makes the story relevant, not just to Corktown. This is kind of the story that's going on in lots of different neighborhoods in Detroit, this idea of change and what change might mean to people who already live in these in these neighborhoods, especially the folks you talk to in North, in North Corktown, uh, their fears about being able to stay, being able to continue to be part of the neighborhood where they live were really palpable in the story. Well, that's, yeah, it's the age old story of gentrification, you know, and we face that all over the city. And this was unique because we're at, at sort of day one or ground zero of what is very likely to be a big wave of gentrification coming. Ford just announced they're going to buy the train station in July. They're going to bring up to 5,000 employees down there. And it stands to reason that a lot of those people will not want to commute back and forth and will say, well, I want to live in exciting Detroit, exciting Corktown. So there will be housing springing up. In fact, if you drive down Michigan Avenue right now, there's all these lofts going up and all these condos. Um, very expensive compared to the housing just a few blocks away. Yeah. And so what we wanted to do, though, was a little different because this everybody, everybody we've written about gentrification, everybody's written about gentrification. So we thought instead of uh, just doing the typical article, which usually features either people saying I'm for them coming <laughs> or I'm against them coming, we would just find people whose stories are interesting on their own, even if you took out the word Corktown. And let their lives speak about, you can, you can infer whether they will be happy if someone comes or not. So if you're poor and you're on a fixed income, this is an ideal place to live. Your property taxes are low. You don't have people bothering you. You can have a bunch of junk in your yard. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you're somebody who has a business there, you're going to be thrilled. And so we just wanted to let all these voices kind of speak for themselves and get a good, diverse group to show that it's... Uh, it, what this effect will be on the neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, the difference between these two neighborhoods, at least in my lifetime, has been really profound in terms of trajectory, right? Uh, Corktown, uh, when I was a kid, was where you went to, to see ball games, as I said earlier. But the, there was this, uh, as you pointed out, this very dense uh, residential neighborhood right right there that, that seems not to have lost nearly as much as what happened north of the freeway. Uh, has Ford talked any about what it might see doing, uh, see happening in North Corktown versus South Corktown? Might you see the two neighborhoods uh, meld together again, despite you know that really wide, you know, eight-lane freeway that goes through the middle of it? Um, uh, is this something that could could help that rift that that the freeway opened up? Well, they haven't said anything specific in terms of plans for North Corktown. What they have done, which, you know, one has to think is smart, is held a number of community meetings and said, we want to get your input and very gently come in like a soft little bunny and say, here, we're coming. No, we mean no harm. Because they know, and people have seen when you come busting into a neighborhood, you know, with fireworks going and saying, we're coming, people freak out. And so people are doing that even now with that general approach, but they're they're listening and they're asking for input and they're pledging this and that, um, but no specific thing. I think it's just people are using common sense, you know. And one example is you look downtown when Quicken came. Now you and I have been downtown for a long time. You remember ten years ago, uh, even ten, but especially like twenty years ago, mm -hmm. it was like a ghost town down there. And now yeah. you can go down there on the coldest day and there's hundreds of people walking the streets and there's coffee houses and restaurants and bars and all because. They brought all these people to work down there, and so all the secondary development happens. People open restaurants or coffee shops or whatever, and then housing 
And so people just are, are you know, using logic to say, this is probably going to happen here. <laughs> what will that mean to us? This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is John Carlisle, a columnist with the Detroit Free Press, who recently wrote a series of profiles on Corktown residents talking about their changing neighborhood. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us, do you live in Corktown? Did you maybe grow up there? Have you ever lived or worked in that neighborhood? And what changes have you seen over the years? Is it time for the former home of the Tiger Stadium and the dilapidated train station to find a new claim to fame? Uh, Are you excited about the things that you see happening in Corktown that are attracting new people, new investment? Uh, Or are you somebody who's worried about the effect of these investments and the influx of new people on the folks who have been there for a really long time, especially folks north of the I-75, which splits Corktown really into two neighborhoods. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation here. Uh, Let's start with uh, Kenneth at Wayne State. Kenneth, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you, Stephen. Uh, sure. Thank you for having me on. Sure. I just wanted to um, express a reflection of my anxiety and fears, and I think the anxiety and fears of many people who not only live in Corktown, but who live in Detroit in general. And I like to emphasize I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer when I say this, but I think that it's very important that we reflect on this and think about it. I think that I have a growing fear that Detroit is quickly becoming a a series of islands of whiteness and privilege in a growing sea of disparity and disinvestment. Um, I say this because that it increasingly seems that as more investment pours into the city, particularly in the downtown, midtown areas, Corktown, and spreading out into some neighborhoods, we continue seeing a crumbling of our basic infrastructure, the crumbling and uh, pretty much like destruction of our public school system, uh, the police and firefighters, uh, being uh, severely underfunded, and the incredible health disparities and food disparities there are around Detroit. I think that um, that if we want to talk about Detroit being a comeback city or a revival city, um, it's not lofts and coffee shops that are going to do that. It's basic infrastructures like good schools, uh, good roads, good sanitation, and good um, 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 an equitable health care system. Mm-hmm. If we don't have any of those things, I'm really reluctant to say that Detroit is coming back. You know, uh, Kenneth, I, 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 I really appreciate the call and the thoughts. One of the ways that, that I have tried to express that same concern over, over the years is by sort of comparing the idea of uh, you know, brick-and-mortar investment to human investment, right? We're seeing a lot of brick-and-mortar investment in parts of Detroit right now, uh, Midtown, Downtown, Corktown, uh, uh, lots of uh, neighborhoods that uh, that have housing and, and other things that people are attracted to. What we haven't seen as much of is what you're talking about, which I think is, is human investment, investment in schools, opportunity, uh, investment in... Uh, in improving neighborhoods where you're not necessarily expecting people to move from someplace else to live there, but you're just saying, hey, the folks who live here now ought to have better than what they have. Uh, there, there is 
I think some conversation about the need to make that turn. And I think we've seen some of the philanthropic dollars in Detroit move in that direction. But you're absolutely right that uh, it is not kept pace with this brick and mortar investment, which is changing uh, the city really, really rapidly. Uh, John, I wonder what, what you make of the folks in Corktown who you talk to and how much they feel they're being invested in uh, even before Ford comes to their neighborhood. Well, obviously the folks in uh, North Corktown don't feel like they're being invested in at all, but he makes an interesting point. And the people that we spoke to, a lot of them realized that too. And what surprised us was how many people were just resigned to not being there once Ford comes. They've just said, we know we're going to be out. We'll either be priced out or property taxes will go up. We'll be culturally forced out because... We'll be surrounded by people who don't want people, poor people like us there. Um, I was surprised at the lack of fight. You know, you'd think people say, I'm going to stay here no matter what, or I'm going to, uh, you know, fight whatever comes. And a lot of them were just uh, completely resigned to the idea. I mean, you know why? Because they've seen it elsewhere in the city, and they've seen whether it's Midtown or whether it's parts of the east side. Um, they've seen this sort of gentrification in action. And they've seen what happened to people there. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of uh, good outcomes for the poor people who stay there. And so it, it was really interesting. Just a lot of people just said, in fact, one woman said, well, I'm not going to stand in front of a bulldozer. I mean, if I got to go, I'll, I'll go. Yeah. And a couple other people said, there's, there's going to be no room for me. Or one woman said, they don't want the riffraff over here. And she was talking about herself. <laughs> she knew that she was considered riffraff by the people, uh, by the people she imagines who will be moving in with young, with money, white that kind of thing. And uh, so it was, it was interesting. It was a surprising response how, how passive people are in the face of what's about to happen. Yeah. I mean, I think their expectations match with what their experiences have been, that, that uh, when things change in this city, often uh, they're not part of that change. They're expected to move out of the way. Right. They've seen this movie before. They have. That's right. Uh, all right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about Corktown with John Carlisle from the Detroit Free Press. And we want to continue to hear from you as well. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. Sean in Southeast Detroit. Wayne in Detroit. We'll get to you as well. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining. My guest is John Carlisle, a columnist with the Detroit Free Press. He recently wrote a series of profiles on Corktown residents where they talked about their changing neighborhood and the place they see for themselves in those changes. If you want to join the conversation, maybe you're somebody who lives in Corktown or Maybe you used to live or work in Corktown. Maybe you grew up in Corktown and remember what the neighborhood was like back in the 70s and 80s like I do or maybe even earlier in the 50s and 60s. Uh, tell us what you think about the changes that are happening in that neighborhood. Are they things that you have been eager to see happen or are they things that you're fearful will change the neighborhood in ways that won't include the folks who live there now? As always, the number on the phones is 313 577 That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Wayne in Detroit. Wayne, welcome to Detroit Today. 
You there, Wayne? Yeah, hey. I'm here. Hey, go ahead. Uh, grew up in Detroit, uh, born in 1960, moved to Toronto in 1978, and have recently moved back and have been active in the community during the entire time. Uh, the basic reality is uh, if you look at Detroit as a organism uh, and strip away the politics and the uh, racial and economic components, Detroit got sick. And uh, that status quo was unacceptable. Uh, that uh, illness manifested itself uh, in crime and uh, blight and lack of basic services. Uh, almost like an infection, like a scab. And in order to clear that infection, you needed some medicine, bankruptcy, for example. And the, the medicine will, the, the, the antibiotics, if you will, is a tax base. And eventually you will heal and the scab will subside and you'll have healthy living organisms. We can't focus on appealing to the past. The people who are living in a house with a front yard with five junk, junked up cars and whatnot, I feel for them. But if you want to appeal to, to that sector of Detroit, then you will always be sick. Hmm. Yeah, Wayne, that's a that's a pretty tough uh, position to take, and and I respect the fact that uh, you know you're from the neighborhood and and live there, uh, so you're absolutely uh, you know I think it's a defensible position. At the same time, I think uh, a lot of people would say, why not try to 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 improve the neighborhood by improving the lot uh, for the folks like the f- people you're describing, the people who have lots of cars in your yard and things like that. Are, are there things that we could be doing that would make life better for them and make the neighborhood better? John, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, he's not, you know, he's not wrong. I mean, who wants to live next to a, a yard full of crap? But, you know, I guess the question is, do you give them enough money to move? If you really want this to be a pretty street with lofts, do you, do you pay them a fair amount to move somewhere else? And really, it just comes down to even if the best thing for them is to move, we just still want to talk to them and see how they felt. You know, a lot of people don't talk to those people. Right. And we just wanted to see how do you feel. And a lot of them know. They're like, yeah, my house is crumbling. We interviewed one woman whose house was crawling with bugs. It was 100 years old. It was collapsing. It couldn't pass any kind of inspection whatsoever. And uh, she knew it. She knew her house was a dump, and she knew she was going to be gone. But she still, you know, when you're elderly and you're you're infirm and you're a shut-in, it's traumatic, I guess, to move, even if she knows it's best. And she still deserves to be heard, even if it's best for the neighborhood for that house to be gone. Hmm. Uh, again, uh, Wayne, I really appreciate the call and the comments. Let's go to Sean in southeast Detroit. Sean, welcome to Detroit. Hi, I'm in southwest Detroit. Southwest, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, yes, I'm, I'm, I work as a community organizer in, the, in five neighborhoods in the eastern part of southwest Detroit, which includes North Cork Town and Cork Town. And the thing that... Um, you know, I read all the stories that John Carlyle wrote, and one thing that I thought was um, sort of there but not very clear was that there's a very active uh, community group called the North Corkdown Neighborhood Association, yes. and a few years ago, they developed on the basis of, of a, 
really intensive community engagement strategy, a plan called they call the ba- uh, the balanced development plan, which really puts forth a a, a vision of a, of a different kind of city life, which balances you know urban farming and green space mm-hmm. and you know single family homes and retains the historic and multi ethnic character of the neighborhood. You know, brings uh, retail back in along 14th Street, which is pretty abandoned. But you know, there is there is a vision there, and there's community there of people who are really trying to, you know, develop a, a new way for the city to be the city, and not just um, and not just you know the same old uh, you know divisive, sure. ex- exclusive, um, you know. Story that's been told over and over is in the city. Sean, I really appreciate the call and the comments. Sean Carlyle, go ahead. Well, I would say, uh, you know, she's right. There, there are many groups out there, and the 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 problem we had, well, we the challenge we had. Let me put it that way: is when this was announced in June, there was this flood of articles by everybody, whether it was talking to the bar owners, the neighborhood associations, for so there was very little left for us to do, and we were asked to do a project. So we just thought, let's find people who are never. Nobody interviews ever regular people outside of associations and groups. Um, you know, it was really about threading the needle. We had to because there was so little to do. And if I may, the, the other approach we took to make this different, instead of doing another long article about neighborhoods, we thought just, again, because there's so much coverage of this, let's do something completely different. So we'll do a series of short stories and we'll write them like they're short stories in a literature book, like fiction, just to do something different because there's, we've done this ourselves, stories about neighborhoods. Others have done these stories. And so we thought, let's take a completely unique approach and write these things so that they're not like anything you read. So, for example, one of the stories is about two people waiting for someone to come to breakfast. And that's it. There's nothing else happens. There's zero action. But through that, we tell the story of their part of Corktown, about the homeless people there, about elderly people there. We managed to fit it all in in a story that's about two hours in someone's life. <laughs> or there's another one, you know, just an hour with a shut-in. Mm-hmm. Or there's one that's backwards where it starts now and we end the story 15 years ago to illustrate why this woman moved here in the first place. So uh, she's got a point, but... We could have written a whole book about Corktown by the time we talked to the neighborhood groups or the businesses. Or this is Ford. more about the people who live there and what they feel and see uh, around them. Right. Just yeah. regular folks who no one's talked to before. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sean, thanks very much for the call. Let's go to Kristen in North Corktown. Kristen, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Hey. Good morning, everyone. Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. Um so I'm just calling in because um, I have been listening to everything that's been said, and also I was in the story and, and um, spent many of hours with John. Hi, John. Hi, Kristen. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> good, good. Everything's um, just going along smoothly from the new year. Um, I uh, I wanted to call because um, I was listening in as far as the schools, and, and nothing has you know come from that. And I just wanted to mention that I feel like that will come over time. Um, you know, just as anything else, um, when you when you build up uh, a community or a town or whatever, things have to just kind of eventually fall into place. And I know our school systems have, have lacked for years. But I think that through this, when you get taxes kind of coming up and people coming in back in and fluctuating back in, that things like that will come. Um, but then also um, from the side that um, – that, uh, 
North Corktown um, doesn't really um, seem like they're putting up a fight. I think we're a little bit of the um, shy, you know, wanting to try and, and see what's going to happen, but we're also very powerful, and I think that that would come through if you started to see people having properties taken or mm. things increasing beyond what um, people can afford. Um, you know, we're just a, a silent group in some ways um, that, that is observing right now more so than just jumping and taking action and fighting from the get-go. Mm. Um, Kristen, and I, yeah, I'm, also, you know, I'm running out of time ahead. here, but but I really do appreciate it. Well, let me uh, say to, can yeah, I say to Kristen. I've got about a minute. Go okay, ahead, I don't, I, I, And she's right. I hope I didn't portray it as that. They are... I thought she was being very reasonable as another person we interviewed, Farmer Greg, and I think that it was cool that they took an open mind, said, let's see what will happen. They were very, you know, open-minded about it, but they do have a point. They have a very strong neighborhood association and identity there, and um, I, I hope that comes across in there because they've all single-handedly done a good job in keeping that neighborhood uh, vibrant to whatever degree it's vibrant and keeping it from falling into free fall. Yeah. Okay, John Carlisle, columnist with the Detroit Free Press. Always great to catch up with you here on Detroit Today. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Good to see you. Thanks for coming in. That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.